Yeah, that great vocal performance means we are back again with Best of the Year so far in 2017. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from madwolf.com. And boy, we got to start right off the top and give some thanks because we've been, we've been tardy in checking some of the reviews on Apple Podcasts. And we finally did. And boy, thank you so much. Super nice, everybody. And thanks for nobody saying anything mean. <laughs> we appreciate that, really. And keep those coming, by the way, if you want to give us a... A review, we would love to have it on the Apple Podcast. And we just found something great today. We want to say thanks to Feedspot, uh, the blog that has put together an, an algorithm, and then they've done some judging, and we are included in the top 100 movie blogs and websites in the world. That's right, on all of the earth. <laughs> so thank you. That was, I mean, that was just blew me away. That is so nice. So thank you so much for everybody who's ever read anything or listened to anything we've ever done. And please keep it up, because I think we checked in at number 89. With a bullet. With a bullet. We want to thank also, though, uh, Kat McAlpine, Christy Robb, Matt Weiner, and Rachel Willis, all of whom write lovely reviews for us as well. Yes, thank you. So, we got the thank yous done? I think We're so. Thank yous. All right, then we got to do a welcome. we got to welcome in, uh, this is becoming a tradition as we welcome, from the Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio, our senior filmmaking correspondent, Jason Tostevin, is back. Welcome. Woo! I'm so excited to be back, you guys. This was great. It was great last year because... I know it's always touch and go. Like it the, is. The, the most recent one could always be the last one. That's right. So, <laughs> But I remember last year we did this, you know, halfway through 2016, and we talked about some great movies, and you uh, were able to tip us off to some stuff that we hadn't seen yet, so maybe we'll get to that again this year because... So far, it's been, we've seen some good stuff so far this year. Yeah, it's been a really strong year, I think. And uh, and there are some return filmmakers who actually made the list last year. So it's good to see that. And then there are some others that we are really looking forward to already in the, in the second half of the year. And also, we got to say, since you are the senior filmmaking correspondent, right now you're pretty much busy with your short film, Born Again, right? On the festival circuit? Yeah, that's right. So we have a horror comedy called Born Again about the worst Satanists ever. And uh, it's on the festival circuit. It's doing great. Lots of places to catch it. And um, well, we've yeah. seen it and we thought it was great. We loved it. And also, in case you're not going to say it, it's won like hundreds and hundreds of awards <laughs> in every possible area. Right. Acting, writing, directing, production. It's won everything. Yeah, yeah no, that, I'm really proud always of when we win awards in multiple disciplines and crafts because the team's really great. So it's great for them to get individual awards. And you get a chance, if you are in the Columbus, Ohio area, to catch actually an entire retrospective of your work. Yeah, that's right. Um, during Film Festival Columbus Focal, uh, there will be a screening of some of Hands Off Productions shorts. And then I'm going to tell the most embarrassing stories I can about people who were involved nice. in those productions. <laughs> that's uh, June 17th at 6 p.m. That'll be at the uh, Gateway Film Center. Awesome. So they can find that info on your website or on the Gateway's website? Yeah, that's right, on the Gateway's website. Which yep. is gatewayfilmcenter.org. So check that out. So welcome uh, again. We're going to talk about a lot of movies here. And what do you want to start with? You? We've got our top five. Actually, this works out very well because our top five and your top five of mm -hmm. the year so far are the same, just in a little different order. Yeah. So we can talk about all the same movies and we'll let and you can chime in with where yours differs from ours. But we want to talk about first about a few that are under the radar that didn't make the top five for either of us, but are kind of under the radar. There were a couple I thought that were, um, there was one I really liked very much that, that 
came close to making the list called The Transfiguration, which is a, a, a really interesting take on uh, coming of age and vampires, but in the most sort of horror movie nerd kind of way. I loved it so much because it's really a, a fairly authentic outsider high school perspective and that's really the metaphor that it's going for and it's the kind of film where where the lead character could have turned into like a, a school shooter or something like that i mean he's that isolated from everybody else but he he believes himself to be a vampire and one of the things i loved about it was how absolutely authentic it was to anybody who is a huge fan of vampire movies he has he even argues with the girl that he winds up having a crush on because she loves twilight and he loves nosferatu and i'm like yeah i'm on team this guy we've had that argument right not between each other but with other people so did you see that one i haven't seen it but i have to say first of all the all the word of mouth is terrific and this seems like exactly the kind of movie i want to watch and unfortunately i had a screener and I waited too long, which mm. is story of my life. So I haven't seen it yet, but I will. <laughs> That's a good one. And also, we like the the mermaid vampires of the lure. It was the most bizarre film, and it's uh, it's really um, a kind of a, a musical and a musical. I, I forgot to mention it was a musical. It's a Russian, as you, as you do, a Russian vampire mermaid musical. Um, and you know, it's funny. The one of the reasons I liked it is because the original Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid is actually really a depressing story about changing who you are to benefit somebody that doesn't deserve you and then dying. That's actually what Hans Christian Andersen, as opposed to Disney, was writing about. And and this movie is kind of true to that. And it's really about, excuse me, not Russian, Poland. It's really about Poland and, and kind of the way it was changing its culture uh, in the 80s. Uh, although you don't really need to understand the historical context because it's a fascinating and utterly bizarre sort of synth pop burlesque vampire mermaid musical uh, what is not to love there <laughs> i didn't catch it either but i can't wait to and then of course our buddy alice lowe from sightseers wrote and directed one that we liked a lot called prevenge yeah i did see prevenge um first of all i want to say that coming where from where i come from i'm really excited that alice lowe is now writing and directing yes so you know there are so many people who are creatives who find themselves in one particular discipline and it's really exciting when they can break out. And of course, especially exciting when it's a woman who can write, direct, and star in her own movie. So I'm really thrilled about that. I thought Prevenge was fun and funny and, of course, totally British. Yeah, uh, just like Sightseers, it had that droll, dry British right. humor. Yeah, yeah. You, you never really knew whether to laugh or, you know, be repulsed. <laughs> yeah. um, I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, the only thing that didn't work for me, there's a final shot, maybe two seconds. And mm -hmm. I thought, well... I think that may have just changed the entire movie and not for the better. I so can see that. That was okay. the only part that didn't work for me. Yeah, okay. And another one that we want to mention, we just got to see this the other night, one we've been looking forward to very, very much, the latest from Trey Edward Schultz, who uh, came on the scene last year with a movie I love, not a horror movie, but a movie I love called Krisha. He's got a new one called It Comes at Night. So creepy and so effective. Don't get us wrong. We love the movie. We're just not quite sure... Well, two reasons. We wanted to fit more movies on this list, and we weren't quite sure we would call it an all-out horror movie. Yeah, it's incredibly atmospheric. It's definitely creepy. There is a bit of blood. I mean, I, I could I could tip that direction, but it's filmed like a spooky horror film. I mean, it looked the filming is beautiful. It's a gorgeous movie. And it's definitely filmed to be atmospheric and creepy, super creepy. But in the end, it's kind of a, a it's a very intimate sort of post-apocalyptic family drama, I thought. So even though I do think it's a spectacular film that everybody should see, I don't, and you know that I can be kind of a stickler about it. I don't, I don't call what? it, I don't call, I don't think of it as a horror film, which is the only reason it didn't make the list. Yeah, I mean, I could 
see anyone making the case either for or against it being a horror movie. I could probably go either way, but uh, again, so we could fit more on this list. We'll just say, and since it's brand new, no one's really had a chance to see it yet, but we very much recommend it. Uh, we'll leave it outside just for now, and that is uh, It Comes at Night. So let's get to the good stuff, the top five that we've seen so far this year. And we'll start out at number five, a scientist and a teacher living in a dystopian future embark on a journey of survival with a special young girl named Melanie in The Girl with All the Gifts. I am producing a vaccine, and she is the main ingredient. What am I? Hope. That's what you are. I just want to live. Everyone wants that. She loves you. The hell is this? The world is falling apart. You can save people, Melanie. You can save everybody. Oh my God. What did you do? The first thing I thought when I saw a trailer for this is, oh my God, Glenn Close is in this movie. (laughs) And I figure like, you know, if Glenn Close makes a horror movie, we should all buy a ticket. And uh, and the thing is that she's actually not even the most impressive thing about this movie. The whole cast is great. There's a a young girl, Sania Nanua, who plays the girl with all the gifts. Uh, And and it's a post-apocalyptic zombie movie uh, where a group of scientists are holed up with basically the offspring of the infected. So women who were pregnant when they were zombified, their offspring kind of have what it turns out is really they're the next generation of humanity, quite possibly. And so Glenn Close's character is a scientist, and she's trying to figure out how to use these children's blood to create a cure. Um, And I thought that the movie was incredibly smartly written because it's very hard to be fresh in a zombie genre. And because it just basically, as you're watching it going, oh, no, this is actually what would happen. Like, this is evolution, and that's what this is. And uh, and I think the the tension of survival of the fittest, uh, it affects the top of the food chain the most. And I, and I think that's one of the really tensions in a lot of monster movies, a lot of creature features, honestly, almost any superhero movie, is the idea that humanity would no longer be the top of the food chain. And I think that this movie really delivers that tension very well. I agree that it was tense and i thought it was it delivered a great uh fresh story about um in the zombie genre uh this was cole mccarthy who's mostly a tv director but he did um outcast he did a film called outcast which i love i love irish horror movies yeah which was 2010 right so it's been a long time since he's uh been in the feature director seat and only once before i thought he really comported himself well uh especially for mostly working in tv and I agree, this movie is really about social evolution, right? It's a parable for yes. social evolution. Yes. About the old guard giving way, really having it pulled from their, you know, white knuckle grasp, the world, and it handing over to the, to the new generation. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you guys, I did not have a great experience with this movie because I was deeply distracted by what was my favorite movie of 2014, which was a video game called The Last of Us, Yeah, which has a very similar, if not in large parts, identical plot structure. So I was very disoriented watching this movie, so much so that oftentimes I thought, well, is this an adaptation of the, of the game that I didn't realize? And so, unfortunately, I didn't sink all the way into it. And I remember, you know, at the end going like, well, that wasn't as good as The Last of Us, which is an absurd thing to say about this movie. 
and since in reflection, I, I, you know, I really have come to appreciate it, but it is very, very close parallel. Yeah, that's interesting because we're, we're not gamers, but in doing research, I found it was, it was mentioned that. So it's, it's great you brought that up because anybody that has played that game is going to think the same thing. Yep. Yeah. And I, I believe there was some controversy about it too. I believe there was at least an investigation into when things were being written and when things uh-huh. were released. So. Uh-huh. You know, and you mentioned Glenn Close, one of the first things she did when she booked the movie, she called her sister-in-law, who is a huge zombie fan, and got her sister-in-law a walk-on part. She's one of the hungries in the movie, so they kept it in the family. And also, this will scare you, apparently there's a real-life fungus that bears a remarkable resemblance to the one in the movie. But right now, anyway, it only affects carpenter ants. Right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) So keep that in mind. So that's number five on our list. Best of the year so far, the girl with all the gifts. Moving up to number four, one that's getting a lot of conversation among, at least among our horror group here in Columbus, and probably among horror fans everywhere. Two girls must battle a mysterious evil force when they get left behind at their boarding school over winter break. It's the Black Coat's daughter. You do know about the sisters, don't you? They worship the devil. Catherine. Is there something wrong? Why are you doing this? Do you believe in God, Joan? Ever tried to look for him? I look for him in the unlikely things that happen. Little coincidences. All right, I was thrilled about this movie. This movie was originally called February, and it was made in 2014. So it's an older movie, or maybe 2015, end of 2014, sometime in 2015. It played um, in festivals. It played TIFF in 2015. So it was produced in 2014. Okay. Uh, A24 picked it up. It got renamed uh, The Black Coat Starter. But I have been watching it for years, waiting for it to come around. Yeah. I was really thrilled about it. This is uh, Oz Perkins, who is Anthony Perkins' son, who has a really just a career of, act, an acting career, acting goofball roles so for this movie to come from him was an utter shock this is my favorite movie of the year so far this was at number two on my list and we can talk about those reasons later thought it was um masterfully constructed i think i've heard the criticism that it's slow it is not slow there is a lot going on and you just have to pay close attention well that's the thing that we talked about you have to really pay attention to the parallel storylines right exactly i mean and i think it Rarely do I have this experience where I'm totally shocked by a turn, and I was totally shocked by the turn in this movie, the timeline realization. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it t- was completely compelling. It was one of the movies I wanted to put on immediately afterward and watch it again. Yeah, I agree with you. I love, I love this movie, and it's funny. So I watched it as a screener, a link, and uh, it wouldn't load. So I jumped over to Netflix while I was waiting for it to work to load, and I watched his film, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, which I hadn't seen. So I watched those two movies on top of each other. And I was really amazed at he's just a master of atmosphere, of using his, I don't know, his sets, the frame, and of sneaking these odd little turns of phrase that seem spooky, that don't mean anything. And actually, some of them he used in both of the films, which I thought was outstanding. And also in in Black Coat's Daughter, I loved the way he would set something up as if you knew what was going to happen. For example, when James Remar shows up in the movie, everybody who's ever watched a horror movie is familiar with that face, and you think you know where it's going. 
particularly when one very tense scene in a in a motel room. And it's just not. It's just not going any way you think it's going to go. They introduced a priest and the, and a young girl. It's the same thing. It's this very tense scene that is not going the direction you think it's going to go. And, and And like you say, as long as you're paying attention to things like name tags and there are clues throughout to what's happening. So at the end, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't see that. But not in that sort of. Pull the rug out from under you, M. Night Shyamalan way, which is also often very satisfying, but in, in, a, in a much more spooky and interesting way, I think. He's a, he's a fascinating filmmaker. You're like the Coen brothers who wrote Barton Fink while they had writer's block from Fargo or something. Oh, this is not loading. This horror movie isn't loading, so I'm going to watch another horror movie while it loads. <laughs> You're multitasking. Everybody seems to be loving this movie. Yeah, and a thing I want to point out that I know some people aren't clear on is um, I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House has been available on Netflix for, right. I don't know, six months or something. Many people assume that was his first movie. That's, of course, his second movie. So when you're watching them and sort of watching for his evolution, uh, Black Coats slash February was his, was his uh, directorial debut. So that is number four on our list of the best so far of 2017. Got a few more to go in our countdown. Before we do that, just mention some that are, are worth a mention. Didn't quite make our list, either one of our lists, but uh, decent films that are worth a mention. What do you got? As we said early on, this was has already been a pretty great year for horror, especially independent horror, although we did have one that was a giant super blockbuster that's worth a mention, uh, which is Split, M. Night Shyamalan. Um, and I think we both liked it better than we expected to like yes, it. Yes, true. And, uh, and I, I don't think either one of us think of it as a horror film, but it's certainly in there, you know, it's the Split personality, and he's a monster, and, and there's bad things happening, so you can certainly put it in the horror genre. And it's nice, I think, to see uh, M. Night Shyamalan sort of firmly back into making good movies. Loved it. Two quick things. This is a Bloomhouse movie. Cost $5 million, Has made 150 or 160 or $170 Ooh. million. Dollars. So they are incredibly even richer than they were. McAvoy's incredible chewing the scene. He is. He really is. I loved it. I think it's great. And it's worth watching. There's a reveal that was even more satisfying. But it's just as good a movie even after you know that. George loved the reveal. I did love the reveal. He clapped in the theater. <laughs> he was so happy. You know what? And I'll admit, too, I was not the biggest James McAvoy fan before this, but he impressed the hell out of me in this movie. Uh, all, all the praise. Because it's really hard to play multiple personalities without just seeming like you're you know, creating caricature after caricature. And he, he does a, a beautiful job. And he looks like my son, so I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Our son. Sorry. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and another one that I liked, although I, I'm not sure I knew I liked it while I was watching it. And you didn't. Jason did not think of it as a horror film at all, which intrigues me is called We Are the Flesh. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of body fluids in We Are the Flesh, all manner of body fluids. And uh, and it's pretty gross. And, but it's an interesting movie and repellent. And you didn't think of it as a horror film. Why is that? I, well, I thought it was more like a gonzo art student porn. Fantasy. Yeah, exactly. No, it was great. I was thrilled to watch it. I loved watching it. It was really exciting because it was so tab. It broke all the taboos. It was explicit, sexually explicit. It was it had some gore, but um, I had real trouble characterizing it as a horror movie. Yeah, it, it very quickly. If you were wondering, is it going to go there? Oh, yes, it's going to go there. And then you're beyond what you thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I love that. And here's one that um, I was excited about because uh, I loved Troll Hunter, Andre uh, Avradal's Troll Hunter, and he did another one this year called Autopsy of Jane Doe with a pretty great cast. Yeah, Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch, and they're the the uh, county coroner and his apprentice son. And it 
You know, it's it kind of has a B movie vibe, but it's one of those that you just it really benefits from their performances and uh, and the way it's shot and it, and it builds on on a bit of attention and to where it's going and to you talked about a final shot kind of you know not working for you in one movie the final shot the last very bit of this movie I loved so much and it. It's just kind of a, it's not the greatest movie in the world, but it's one where you kind of have that B movie like, yeah, that's for for what it tackled. It did it very, very well. I'm excited every time you guys know this about me. I'm excited every time I see a single location movie. Right. Right, I, right. I I know what's behind that. So I was really, really interested to see this. You know, the gore effects reminded me of Savini doing Dawn of the Dead. Okay. So it, it yeah. felt to me like an auteur that we don't know of, an FX auteur we don't know yet. And I don't know who it was. I, I'm sorry, I didn't look it up. But it, they were spectacular. But the movie was not spectacular. It was fine. Mm-hmm. I could watch Brian Cox do anything. Yeah. I love that guy. But um, I thought it was good, and I'm glad I watched it. And I also, in, in my written review, I think it was worth mentioning for the director that even though the Jane Doe on the autopsy slab is nude, and you've got a a model, an actress who is at least before the autopsy starts attractive and young, didn't really have a leering camera, you know, that made you think like they're getting their jollies out of this character, which I, which I thought was nice. And I appreciated. actually, he went the other way trying to dare you as the farther it went along to keep looking at her because it got pretty gross. It is. I don't know how I don't know how I would have done it as a filmmaker to have an actor have talent laid out nude, whatever they looked like. And uh, the actress here is, of course, I think, inarguably attractive. And I thought that the shooting was as smart blocking out her body and telling the story that this was not a alive woman, not only not a dead woman, but a threat, I thought was really genius. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was part of the genius. Of good the movie. point. Good point. And it was silly. And I like that. It had some silly moments. Mm-hmm. So uh, a not silly film, Devil's Candy. So Devil's Candy, actually, I liked very much. I liked it more. I've liked it more the longer it's been since I've seen it because in first the first time I watched it, I found it a bit disappointing because I love Sean Byrne because I love the loved ones. I don't know if anyone knows that. I love- anyone who's listened to this podcast or come across you in everyday life knows that. <laughs> so I couldn't have been more excited that he was making another movie. And this one felt a little bit, it was like, a smashed together police procedural and sort of, you know, supernatural thriller. And but the performances were really, really great. They really were. There was enough spooky stuff happening and there was this whole heavy metal vibe that I got into. So uh, the longer it's been since I've seen it, the more I've liked it. It was not strong enough to make the list for me, but I thought it was worth a mention. I'm I'm really glad that this movie exists. I don't know why he's so jacked. Why is he so hugely built in this? Yeah, movie? Ethan Embry. Yeah, I don't. What what is happening? Yeah, hit the it, weights. I guess while yeah, he was but come painting, on, he's like a big metalhead. How many metalheads have you ever seen that are that jacked? Very few. Zero. No. None. Glenn Danzig. He's not a metalhead. He's, right. he's a big he's... faker. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Right. Yes. I happen to know the Extra guy points. in the famous video that knocked him out. Oh. By the way, Danny, shout out to you. <laughs> wow. Nice. Um, Brushes with greatness. I don't understand why he was so jacked. That was distracting. the The guy who plays the villain is. Um, always a touch or touch and go for me. So I was nervous watching him, but he totally settled in. He was great. I think this movie is representative of what a bumper crop of indie horror movies we've had this year, Mm -hmm. that this movie came out, got a little bit of play. A few people saw it. It is really, really good for an indie horror film. Yeah. And I think, um, part of that is because the witch and, um, it follows and Babadook. I think they drew us all closer into indie 
festival horror style and they are more mainstream now. So I think that's a really interesting thing that's happened that you yeah. can kind of see in the way Devil's Candy played. Good stuff. So that's a few uh, worth mentioning. And we'll go back to our countdown and our number three. And it's one I think we all loved. I know we did. A cold-blooded predatory couple while cruising the streets in search of their next victim stumble upon a 17-year-old high school girl and it's hounds of love. Yeah, I read your little diary. Your mom wouldn't let you out. So you snuck out, didn't you? Probably not even looking for you. <laughs> you think she's prettier than me? He doesn't love you. He just uses you. Now let's go in there and have a little bit of fun. I definitely wanted to get your take on this as a filmmaker because I thought the visuals in this and the way he advances the story with the visuals and mixing it with certain pieces of music were just just fantastic. Uh, I think f- from my point of view, you are right on that opening shot. Yeah, hair raised on my arms, and I thought, what? And you know, I don't know if you guys got this feel at all. It really felt like the hallway shot in Donnie Darko, slow motion hallway shot in Donnie Darko. And it, there's also some slow motion on the trampoline with the um, Sparkle Motion Girls. And I told, I, I don't know if he meant that as an, as an homage, but it really, I got that vibe from it. And I was in from right there. Yeah, it's, it's a movie that, it's certainly brutal, but yet it's, it, it's not one that, it certainly doesn't go the torture porn route at all. You know, once she's, once she's a captive, uh, you're certainly afraid for, oh my God, what's going to happen? But then... It kind of upends it a little bit by becoming a character study and more psychological of what's going on with this couple. And the performances are fantastic. Yeah, the lead is Emma Booth. Emma Booth, yeah. Uh, of, of the three, I mean, she blew me away. Actually, I mean, all three of the leads are... Yeah, are, they were. They're really, really great. But Emma Booth, because there are certain scenes where her character just turns completely and you see so much more depth than you realize could have been there in the first place. And I thought that also the use of sound was pretty brilliant. I mean, there are certain scenes where the, you know, the girl is tied to the bed and she's just staring ahead and all you hear, which you hear frequently in this movie, are airplanes going overhead. And it, you know, it just, it says so much about everything, about where it is they live, about where she's found herself, and then just about her lack of freedom. I think that he told so much in this movie without weighing it down with dialogue. Yeah, and it was maybe the tensest movie experience I've had in recent memory. Yeah. And I think, so this is Ben Young. This is his first feature. And he did this. um, He said explicitly he did this because he didn't have enough money to do something multiple location. And so he had a very pragmatic approach. And um, I think this is really indicative of exceptional talent. I love Australian horror. I'm a big fan. And I watch a lot of horror movies, as it turns out. I watched this movie and had nightmares. So there you go. Yeah, it's definitely one that kind of seeps into your bones and, and, and will stays with you and makes you think about things. Yeah, it's very, very effective. And that's number three, Hounds of Love. So getting close to the top, moving up to number two, when a young vegetarian undergoes a carnivorous hazing at a vet school, a taste for meat begins to grow in her, and it's called raw. Talk about a great last shot. This was a great, the, the final image in this movie was, uh, was plus it's, it's Lucas Laurent from Colvert, who we love. Yeah. But it was such a great, weirdly comedic final shot, which I absolutely loved. But I like this movie a great deal, 
And uh, and it, and it got a lot of press early on because it was one of those movies where people threw up at the at the festival scene screenings. So I think sometimes that's good for a film, but usually I think it's maybe not. I mean, it generates a lot of interest in movies, but at the same time, then you usually are disappointed in the end. It's not as gross as I was thinking that it might be based on that, but it's a very smart film, and it's sort of what you're afraid is going to happen when your nice daughter goes to college. You know, it just takes that metaphor of like being afraid to be the nerdy girl who experiences college and it just explodes that in a lot of different ways. And I thought that the performances were great and it was very surprising. But at the same time, it was no matter what it did, it remained, I think, very true to its core metaphor. I I think this movie really is about not fitting in and discovering that uh, going your own way is satisfying. And it up it upends that idea, of course, with a pretty gruesome your own way. <laughs> yeah. um, it was playful. I thought it had a playfulness that I think a lesser director would not have been able to maintain. I do think it was as gross as advertised. And I, I'm really intrigued because I think the truth is as many horror movies as we have watched or, or anyone who's listening has watched, there's not going to be an effect. It's very unlikely there's going to be an effect, you know, uh, a gag. That's going to make you sick. Mm -hmm. It's got to be context. And I think here, the thing that was so disturbing and off-putting and upsetting about the, the finger, which is it's in the marketing, so I don't feel like I'm revealing anything, was the context in which it was happening. Yeah. It was someone giving way, giving up their humanity. In a way, there was an echo of this in uh, The Girl with All the Gifts. The end of The Girl with All the Gifts, I think, is also about this willful giving away of humanity. And I think that's a really primal, scary thing for people. So I did think it was upsetting. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely going to, everybody's not going to have the same scale of gross out level. So yeah, there are some that get pretty, get pretty queasy, I think, but maybe not for you because you're tough. <laughs> yeah. So that, that is raw number two on our list of uh, best horror so far in 2017. Before we get to the top, I want to mention just a few, I won't spend many time on these, but ones we were disappointed with. And there's three big ones. Uh, rings. Ah! Oh, my. Bad. Also, uh, the With D'Onofrio. Yeah. What the hell happened? Yeah. It was, oh, boy, that was bad. Uh, the Belco experiment. That was my biggest disappointment. Yeah. I was, I was because James Gunn mm -hmm. uh, and Greg McClain, who did Wolf Creek and really hasn't done anything of, of merit since Wolf Creek, but I love Wolf Creek. But James Gunn is the writer. He's done nothing but great and just like forever. And I was hopeful that it would at least be uh, clever, satirical, funny. It was none of those things. And it wasted a great cast. Yeah. And it's territory that has been covered. What they were uncovering with this experiment has been done. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Very disappointed. And also one that we were looking forward to, but were disappointed by. And that's the cure for wellness. I skipped it. I heard the terrible reviews and I love Verbinski so yeah. much. I didn't want to great. I, I'll watch it eventually. Great visuals, some real great visuals, but really didn't add up to anything. So those are the disappointments. Also, we got to mention before we get to our, our number one, we've talked about it before. You are one of the founders of the Nightmares Film Festival coming to the Gateway in October. This will be the second year, the first year. So great, especially for a, a debut year. And so we're looking forward to it this year in October. So give us the rundown. Yeah. So it's October 19th through the 22nd at the Film Center. All the screenings are held at the Film Center. We have a really great, comfortable setup, bar access, food access all the time. Lots of filmmakers come in so you can meet the filmmakers, talk to them, ask them specifically about the movies they made. It's an opportunity to build relationships. I, th I really think what worked so well last year, the program was terrific. We got excellent submissions. 
and then all the filmmakers came and we made a family out of it, right? People, Very true. People all connected and they're all still talking and there are a bunch of um, collaborations that have come between filmmakers out of their first visit to Nightmare. So we're really excited about year two. We've added a, several things, including we're taking script submissions now, so you'll be able to meet writers and directors will meet writers and writers will meet directors, which means other collaborations will come of them. And um, it gave me also the opportunity to tell you about a movie that I think you should be on your radar and everybody else's radar, which is called Two Pigeons. Have you guys heard about Two Pigeons? No, yeah. no. So Two Pigeons is sort of, um, do you remember Borgman? Yeah, yeah. loved so, it, loved it. So it's, it's like um, Borgman-esque. It's maybe like uh, if there were a baby that happened during the course of Borgman, okay. this would be that movie. And it has, I can't remember his name, but the guy who played the creature in Wreck and... I'll have to get back to you later on in the podcast about it, but you, everybody recognizes him. He plays the villain in this movie. The summary is quickly, we have a real estate agent, and when he leaves for the day, this crazy-looking, gangly guy comes out of the walls and Ooh. lives in his house. <laughs> so be on the lookout for Two Pigeons on the festival circuit, and um, I think you might see it in October. Yeah, I'll tell you, we're, we're lucky because it's happening in the town where we live. Otherwise, this is one where we would definitely travel to i can't stress it enough if you can get here to columbus uh in october for this you would definitely it'll be worth your while and the website they've got a website and a facebook page correct yeah we're very very active on facebook but um i'm always watching all of it but uh facebook is nightmares film fest and uh the website is too nightmares film fest it's javier botet javier botet was uh in mama was the creature oh, in mama. yeah and he was the creature in the attic in wreck Good stuff, good stuff. So that and that's pigeons. That's two, two pigeons. Two pigeons. All right, looking looking forward to that. That was all they could afford. <laughs> but budget. it works. All right, getting to uh, the top number one on our list for best horror so far in 2017, and one this will be the third podcast in a row we've talked about this. What else? But Jordan Peele's Get Out. Do they know I'm black? Should they? Do you smoke in front of my daughter? I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good actually. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how you not scared of this, man? Get out! Yo! Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. No, 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 no. A bomb is a terrible thing to waste. Have we seen a debut? under this much pressure that also did even marginally as well as this movie. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the idea, the concept of a, a sketch comedy guy, which is how he was known writing a thriller created buzz. And I think there was a lot of, um, there was people, there were people looking for it to fail. I think as a result, oh, yeah. because he's primarily known as a comedian. That's always the way. There's always somebody looking for it, especially if you get the more successful you get. Somebody wants you to fail. Exactly. Yeah. So I, we definitely saw a lot of that under intense pressure, African-American cast, African-American director, a social commentary movie. And then to deliver, this was an instant masterpiece. It is. And you know what I think is amazing? I think that a lot of times when a, when a, especially a horror film, but any kind of a film comes out to this kind of buzz, then you get haters immediately. And I don't think Get Out has done that. I mean, I think, you know, even people go into it like expecting to everybody loves it. 
because it is um, it is incredibly smartly written. And he is a comedy guy and there are funny bits, but it is by no means a horror comedy. And it's incredibly and it's and he loves horror. This is what I think I love the most about it. He clearly comes at this as a horror movie fan. He has mm-hmm. what he's done. And I've said this before, Kara, is he just upends the concept of the final girl right from the prologue. Because you see a hundred horror films where a beautiful white girl is walking by herself, even in a very safe looking neighborhood, and you automatically know to feel tense for her. And the fact that he inverted that by making it a single black man, and then you realize, no, he is in danger. Mm-hmm. That set the tone for the whole movie, and, and it just gives you goosebumps because he was so insightful about current social anxiety without hitting you over the head with anything. And it is, so he never feels preachy. The movie is incredibly engaging and spooky and scary and smart. It's just an enjoyable horror film. But what he says is really important. Yeah, the thing he mined for horror is very important to today. Well, has always been important. It's of particular importance now in today's society. But that wasn't what the movie was about. Right. And I think that's the magic of it. And we, I, I, you know, in our sort of filmmaker group that we all talk across the country, one of the things we often talk about is you see cause movies. And then you see great movies with a cause at their heart. Uh-huh. And there's a very different experience, right? When somebody sets out to make a cause movie, you get one point of view and it's not a very engaging movie. It's not a satisfying movie. However important the cause, when you make a great movie and it's got a cause at its heart and you've really done some magic. Yeah. The thing I want to say, I think the writing was great. I think the direction was even better. And I, I am still floored that he, he, he's got to be a natural. I mean, the direction in this movie is so precise and so compelling yep. and he sets you up shot after shot i'm just bowled over by it yeah and it's the thing of it's it's such a complete package because like you said it's funny although and and of course what he has said in, in interviews is it's funny but there are no jokes there's no joking around but it is funny and it's also well it may not be outright scary it's very tense and it works that way on a, on a horror movie level because it's very tense and there are tense situations and yeah it's it's so brilliantly directed and smartly written and it says what it says without doing it overtly mm-hmm. had to have this one at number one. I think I want to reflect on what you said, hope, which was you expect to see haters afterward and you don't. And I haven't either. I've seen a really weird phenomenon. I'm curious if you guys have seen it. I have now seen multiple people say they have avoided seeing it because of the hype. They have said, I have not seen get out because of all the hype. And I don't really know what that means. Like, um, I've not seen that. Can't That's weird. As, it can't be as good. But I'm telling you, these are people who are saying I'm I'm abstaining from watching it. And in fact, I had to. There, there was a post on the Film Center's page where people were sort of talking about another movie and said, "Oh, they're talking about uh, it comes at night." And somebody on there said, "I hadn't seen Get Out because of the hype." And I had to answer. I had to say, "Like, well, forget the hype. You got to watch this movie." I I don't understand that at all. Is as some sort of protest? I don't know. I, I, that I have not seen that, and that's that's really perplexing. It is, because first of all, you're going to enjoy it. You're just almost guaranteed to enjoy it. But second of all, because this film announces an epic new filmmaker, somebody that uh, I feel confident we're going to love, you know, basically everything he does, regardless of the genre, because, you know, as we said, writer and director, it's it's an impeccably put together film. How much pressure is he under for his follow up? (laughs) I mean, we'll all be watching for it. Yeah. And uh, he's announced it already, right? He's announced it already. Do you guys remember? No, I do not. He's going to be doing a. Jim Crow era thriller. Gosh, I'm sorry. I can't remember if it's TV or movie, but he's already signed on for his next thing. Good stuff. Yeah, we'll be looking for it for sure. So that was our number one. I know our lists were a little bit different. What was yours? My number one was Get Out. Okay, good. Yeah, the differences were very minimal. I I think I said to you guys before we got on the air, Black Coats is my favorite movie Mm -hmm. so far, but Get Out is the best movie. All right. 
All right, good stuff. That's our list. Uh, let us know what you think. Easiest way to keep the conversation going, as always, is on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And Jason on Twitter, you are? Jason underscore Tostavin, because I didn't know how to do Twitter handles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long Twitter handle right there. <laughs> That's why I have no followers. <laughs> So we look forward to next week. We're going to be back at Gateway for Fright Club Live. Yes, we are. We're going to show they look like people. So a lot of times it's like last time we showed Antichrist, which it turns out is a little bit brutal and sometimes hard for people to sit through. So we like to switch it up every so often with something that is a, a little bit less brutal. And They Look Like People is actually a beautiful, beautiful, touching movie that just happens to be very tense. So come anyway. You're going to like it, even if you are mad at me for last month. Uh, and the topic that we're going to tackle is mental illness. And it's our anniversary. So come celebrate. Yay. Yay. Yeah, so we'll start with a little happy hour in the torpedo room. So maybe have an extra drink for the anniversary, maybe. We'll let you drink this week. <laughs> I was just going to say, am I allowed? <laughs> I have got to say, if you have not seen They Look Like People, you've got to come and see it. It is really powerful. And I think it really went under the radar. Yeah, Great pick, stuff. you guys. So we look forward to that, and uh, yeah, keep the conversation going on Twitter, and of course our main website is madwolf.com and madwolfcolumbus on Facebook. Thanks again to everybody for the nice reviews. Thanks again to uh, Feetspot for putting us on the top 100 movie blogs and websites list. We're just, we're just in a happy place right now. <laughs> and thanks to Golden Spiral Media as always, and until next time, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm Jason Tostevin. Stay scary, my friends. <laughs> and frightful. I don't know. <laughs> 